Hello everyone and welcome back to season six of the Great Women Artists podcast. In this series, I am so excited to be continuing my partnership with the brilliant Alighieri Jewelry, who have been supporting the GWA podcast for the last year and a half. Alighieri Jewelry creates imperfect and fragmented modern heirlooms, inspired by Dante Alighieri's journey from the darkness of Inferno to the light of Paradiso. Female founder Rosh Matani finds the intersection between art, literature and jewellery reinterpreting one of the greatest pieces of Italian literature. I am very happy to tell you that Alighieri has just opened their first ever showroom in the heart of London's historic jewellery quarter, Hatton Garden. You can now step into the Alighieri universe and discover their talismans in person whilst enjoying a coffee or glass of Prosecco and meeting the amazing team. This magical space is the perfect place to relax and shop. You can book in for a personal styling appointment or browse by emailing clients at alighieri.co.uk. Everyone that can't make it in London, you can explore their collection online at www.alighieri.co.uk. All Great Women Artists listeners will receive 10% discount on all magical Alighieri jewellery with the code TGWA at checkout or by mentioning it in the showroom. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello everyone and welcome to the Great Women Artists podcast with me, Katie Hessel. Some of you might know me from The Great Women Artists, an Instagram account I set up in October 2015, which celebrates female artists on a daily basis, ranging from young graduates to old masters. Well, in a similar fashion to the Instagram, this podcast is all about celebrating female artists from a variety of backgrounds and histories. And I'm so excited to be interviewing artists on their career or artists, writers, curators, or general art lovers on the woman artist who means most to them. What I want this podcast to do is celebrate female artists in all different capacities so you, the listener, can gain a look into the greatest female artists working now or from art history. I'm so excited to say that my guest on the Great Women Artists podcast is one of the most exciting young painters working today, Kutunai Violet Huami. Born in Zimbabwe and raised between there, South Africa and the UK, Huami is fast becoming one of the leading artists of her generation. Having received her BA from Wimbledon College of Arts, where she was shortlisted for the Bloomberg New Contemporaries, among many other prizes, this year Huami completed an MFA at the Ruskin School of Art at Oxford University. In 2019, she represented her country of birth at the 58th Venice Biennale alongside three artists and in the same year had her first institutional solo show at Gasworks in London called 15,952 kilometres via Trans-Sahara Highway N1. Rich in colour, subject and scale, Huami's exuberant and vivid paintings of self-portraits and her extended family draw on the artist's autobiographical history. Sourced from images ranging from the internet to family photo albums, they explore representations of the black body, along with notions of sexuality, gender and spirituality. Experimenting with photography and digitally collaged images, and often incorporating other media such as silkscreen pastel or charcoal, Huami's bold paintings offer an insight into a deeply personal world, while also appearing simultaneously universal and familiar. The artist has said, with the collapsing of geography and time and space, no longer am I confined in a singular society, but simultaneously I'm experiencing Zimbabwe and South Africa and the UK. I'm in the UK, but I carry those places with me everywhere I go. 
But the reason why we are speaking with Kitsune Violet today is because she is currently the subject of and featured in two of my favourite exhibitions up in London right now. The Hayward Gallery's painting show, Mixing It Up, and her solo exhibition, When You Need Letters for Your Skin, at Victoria Mirror Gallery, a show I found utterly spellbinding with its poignant personal and raw paintings, paintings she describes as visual letters. Kitsune Violet Huami, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Hello, Katie. I'm well. <laughs> I'm really happy to be here. Finally. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's been a long time coming. So thank you so much, Kutane Violet, for coming on the podcast today. I have been lucky to see many of your exhibitions over the past few years. The first time I saw your work was at Taiban Gallery in 2017. And I still remember walking downstairs and just being in awe of this collection of works that just lit up the space with their bold colours, the commanding portraits and also the intimate groups of figures and seeing your work again at Gasworks, the Hayward and now Victoria Miro. It's like they offer some kind of spiritual experience, seeing them as a collective and also seeing them on an individual level. Entering an exhibition of yours is like walking into this other world. And I love this quote you once said, I see painting as an escape towards an otherworldly place or an escape towards a much more celebratory place. So I want to start by asking you, what does paint and painting mean to you? And what attracts you to the medium of paint? Great question. <laughs> I think it's an escape. I'm really drawn to that word escape. But I guess there's a lot of freedom with painting. I don't think I can find that kind of freedom that I'm seeking with any other medium. Another medium, I guess, that I think is close to how I would work or how my mind works is probably film. But it shouldn't be like a linear film. So I'm really attracted to these films by Terence Malick that are, yeah. that are all over the place, you know, and they offer mistakes. I've listened to a couple of people that have worked with him and some of the moments in movies are random. You know, it could be birds flying and you can't choreograph that. There's a magic in that freedom when he makes those kind of films. <laughs> and I think when I was studying, learning about paint and there was a show on Sky Arts. It was a Pina Bausch. Yeah. I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> it was so beautiful. And just through like Googling and stuff, I wonderfully came across Terence Malik. I don't know how, but it was around the same time. And it got me thinking, if I were to make anything on this planet, I would need to make something close to these guys. And do you think that you want people to have that experience when they're in front of your paintings? You know, seeing this kind of amalgamation of imagery. Because your work is so filmic. I mean, especially that beautiful work that's currently in the show, You Are Killing My Spirit. I mean, it's like this like layer upon layer or layer upon layer of film. I hope that is what's coming across. I suffer a lot from the word pretentious. I am very scared of coming across that way because, you know, no, people you that won't. I like, like... <laughs> People, you know, going back to Terence Malik, the movie, this, The Tree of Life, when I read the reviews, I was like, this is amazing. I want to know what other people are thinking. And I went online and the reviews were just, oh, that movie is pretentious. But, but going back to, I do actually want my paintings to feel like a Terence Malik film, like a film that I would direct anyway. I just don't have the skills to get, get into film. It all has to be collaborative. You know, you have to invite all these other specialists to make something happen. To me, it's frustrating. I, I want to just get it done and do it. So painting, again, is quite easy. It's solitary exercise. 
Yeah. And I mean, many of your works are also sort of centered on figures or these kind of incredibly powerful self-portraits. I mean, what is it about working with figuration that you're attracted to? I don't want to say that it was the easiest <laughs> entry point, but it was the easiest entry point into painting. You know, that is what you learn. And they just stuck with it. That's what you learn when you start drawing. But what stuck with me was the figure. And it has a lot to do with Jenny Savile. And then later on, realizing that I appreciate Jenny Savile, but also realizing that I needed to find other painters who are from the African diaspora. So, you know, Henry Taylor was one inspiration. Lynette Yadome Boyake. Kerry James Marshall, what he said about painting the black body was that they were not seen in museums. I mean, now it's amazing because every, everyone is painting black bodies and it's amazing and it's everywhere, it's ubiquitous. But before, this is when I was studying, it was not something that I was seeing. It was the, the same figures. It made sense that also the figures had to be similar to my skin. It wasn't a political move. It was more, these are the people that I'm surrounded by. These are the people in my mind. The skin is what I was around most of the time when I was growing up. I mean, I had friends who would say, why do you always paint black people? And I always, what do you mean? <laughs> because I have, a, I have he, he himself was a working class uh, white guy from Manchester. And he would ask me this question all the time. But it didn't make sense to me to paint any other race because, I mean, white figurative painters don't paint <laughs> anyone else but white figures. So I wasn't trying to make a statement, let's say. It just happened. When I look at your work as well, I mean, I see sort of connection and intimacy within the figures of the paintings, not just within the figures who are in one painting, but actually when you're in an exhibition, the connection between those figures sort of almost speaking to each other. I mean, I know that you're a fan of Alice Neal and whenever I go to her exhibitions, it's like it's this community of figures who are sort of talking to each other. And I mentioned in the introduction this idea of your source material, you draw on family photographs. I mean, what is it about drawing on sort of family and relationships that you are interested in? Well, firstly, <laughs> the family hierarchy in my culture or in my family is the elders decide everything. Of course, you can draw your own path and go your own way. Of course, that's possible, but it's a strict family and education is the most important thing. It's very difficult as well to question the elders. Hard to have conversations, ask questions. I've tried to engage my family in conversations to do with the past, to do with family heritage. It's not that they are unwelcoming of those questions, but it's hard to get it out of them. <laughs> you have to catch them at a very good moment. And so my way of having to deal with this was to paint them, have this story there, understanding them, knowing them. It's like kind of painting like your version of it almost. It's like you telling their stories, but from your point of view. That's it. And so I've given up on this idea of trying to extract information from them. So the information actually doesn't matter. I can appreciate them in another way. To paint my, my grandmother or my aunts that have passed away and 
is in a way bringing them back to life but in my own way you know it's a but i think the family photographs were accidental actually because i i was not making paintings about my family at all they are kind of self portraits that's how i viewed those nudes when i was painting them you know they're self portraits because i was into like spirituality and reincarnation and past lives the term was actually collective consciousness or parallel universes so like i actually believed i was you and you are me and i am even the most evil person on the planet right i am that person as well and when i was viewing this nudes they were me they were self portraits when i looked at the nudes and the when i looked at the photographs that i found it just made sense to use them there was a connection and i've always wanted to make moving work like something that moves people and i was also in a in a time where i was discovering myself so spirituality and eastern philosophy was very much something that i connected with and at the moment i'm actually looking into syncretism what's that syncretism is the amalgamation or attempted amalgamation of different religions cultures or school of thought i'm i'm looking into that because i cannot settle i'm restless this movement that is that took place is ingrained in me i cannot settle on one anything really political agenda whatever i cannot do it i always try to take in everything and choose which works for me as an individual i'm really excited about the possibilities of bringing this to zimbabwe <laughs> so i want to work on a project where i will be using a lot of eastern philosophy and shona cosmology because i think they are similar things and western philosophy i want to try to do something with that not sure yet but i'm really drawn to this idea of combining so i think this is the only way we can come together it's so true and it makes so much sense but also makes so much sense in terms of when i look at your works as well they are this collage it's like this layering and layering of stories it's past histories it's imagined histories all these different worlds that are sort of accumulated together which i think i was trying to get at like earlier with these relationships that happen throughout the work i mean can you talk a bit about the sort of significance of using collage as well in your work yes again it's this need for ultimate freedom mm. like absolute freedom that's the term i'm using at the moment absolute freedom i need different stories to be out there about every single thing right there shouldn't be one single story and i think there's been a single story in contemporary art especially with african artists so there's been a a single story and I am getting a bit tired of it. I won't name what story it is, but it's a story everyone is aware of if they're willing to look. <laughs> but I, I I like layering and collage gives me the absolute freedom. You know, I'm working on these paintings which will be seen at Palais de Tokyo in November and they are a beginning of this process of combining, layering and not sticking to i guess one narrative in a work so i like to confuse myself 
maybe people that are more versed in contemporary art don't get confused, but I'm confused about my work. I. But that's good because then it's always surprising. <laughs> yeah, but maybe not because then if I'm in an interview like this one, you know, I have to <laughs> know what I'm. <laughs> no, you're amazing. You're amazing. <laughs> to know what you're doing. I'm very aware that artists are constantly working out ideas and that's the kind of beauty of it, isn't it? It's just to sort of speak to someone in a moment when yeah. they're working out those ideas. Yeah. Like I said, rest, restlessness is, um, I'm finally accepting it. It wasn't easy because <laughs> I thought I had to know what every painting means, you know, especially as a young artist, you don't know anything. Well, I don't know anything. <laughs> and I'm in the beginning stages of actually developing a language for my work and why I've chosen collage, for instance, you know, why I've chosen paint. And these are things that I have to sit down and really unpack. But I think collage can also stand in for so many things in terms of the collage of place, the collage of time, but also the collage of what we see in the world. You know, our lives are a collage. The way that I'm looking at you is a collage with all these different screens and whatever. Exactly. Collage is, is our life, which is fascinating that you're channeling that through paint. <laughs> exactly. It's a language that came to me. It, I saw it on Tumblr, you know, on how we handle social media. We collage our lives on social media. There are gaps in between <laughs> that no one is aware of. Exactly what you said. It's exactly what it is. And I find that collage is the language of today. I don't know if there's any other method that can properly tell the times of today. I think collage is, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd love to go back to the kind of beginnings of your life and in art. I mean, you were born in 1993 in Zimbabwe, where you lived until you were nine when you moved to South Africa. I mean, I'd love to know about your early years. I mean, was art something that was present in your life? Were you drawing? Did you know you wanted to be an artist, essentially? I knew I was creative. Yeah. But I, I never thought of being an artist. Maybe a singer. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but I have a terrible voice. So <laughs> that would have been a terrible career. It was only when I moved to the UK, actually, that's when I discovered that I'm gifted and I'm able to make a decent painting or decent <laughs> image. But even when I was studying, I had second thoughts. I thought, you know, I just want to do something that is less taxing on the mind. Being an artist, it has its extremities. I think it's very difficult to turn it off. <laughs> I find I cannot turn it off. So I wanted to become an animator, make manga. That's So that was my gateway into art, actually. I loved manga and I loved uh, anime. What was it about anime that you were attracted to? Was it the escapism again? or? Yeah, maybe. Maybe it was escapism. <laughs> but I think story was something outside of my immediate experiences also it was cool to be into manga and to, and to be into anime I was an emo kid as well. <laughs> <laughs> well we grew up at the same time so it was that kind of like 2006 2007 2008 that was like the kind of pinnacle of emo yes no? <laughs> it needs to come back yeah <laughs> yes um so art wasn't present actually my dad was a boiler maker he's a fabricator and my mom was was running a business. So she ran that and she liked sewing. I think my first experience of art where I had to paint anything was when she used to go to South Africa and bring back these fabrics which are printed with animal 
apparently you hang it in your house on the wall or something. But she would bring it. And then we, as the, the children, were told you have to paint the edges. So you have to paint the borders in black. And that was my, my first experience painting. Uh, in terms of art, no. No one in my family is into art. <laughs> they all have professional jobs. And so what about when you moved to South Africa or England? Were you exposed to art then? or It was England. So I came here and I had to do a BTEC course. So I ended up, I mean, in a art and design course where I had this great teacher, Nick Taylor, amazing guy. And he's the one who pushed me to paint. And he's the guy who introduced me to Jenny Savile, to art history. And I didn't see that in myself, but he saw it in myself. And that's why I go back to this, you know, treat each other great. You'll find your soulmates and they will reflect something in you. And so when you first saw the work of Jenny Savile, how did you feel? Powerful. I wanted to be her. You know, she was a, she was a woman, you know, in these huge paintings. I finally saw her painting in person in 2013. And it was amazing. It was just what I expected. <laughs> because I was seeing all these images in books and online. And I think that's where I improved my painting skills just by looking at her paintings in books. She's um, continues to be a great guide for me. Yeah. And then between 2013 and 2016, you went to Wimbledon College. And was it here where you began to sort of take the figure? I mean, what were you exploring in these early years? Yes, I was at Wimbledon. And I think that's when I started painting the nudes. I was doing my BA, not really sure what you're doing. <laughs> At that time, you know, you're just experimenting. watching other, <laughs> yeah, experimenting, right? That's the time to experiment. That was also inspired by my class and also people above my ear. So there were moments, which I call magical moments, where you just discover a word. So I actually sneaked into the second, third year students and I read this, I think it was a dissertation notes <laughs> by this artist, Tom. He was writing about transgression, or oh, I just took that word in. I'm not a great reader, but I tend to like words, and they stick to me. And I took that word, and I typed it in, and voila, it was around the same time that Bell Hooks, she was at the new school, and she was inviting people to give talks. So people like Samuel Delaney, that's when I found out about Samuel Delaney, great science fiction writer. And I began painting nudes because they were talking about sexual transgression I guess painting the body began there of course it was influenced by Jenny Savile as well but I suppose it needed to make sense for me why I should paint the body because I, I wasn't sure what subject matter I'll take on but I think I then took it seriously then I mean one of my favorite works in your time is Dance of Many Hands but it's just it's so powerful and it's this incredible commanding nude. And she's quite sort of androgynous as well. And she's kind of looking ahead. And she is set against this bright yellow background, this huge, almost kind of unassuming plant, even though it's so large. She is just the front and center of it. I mean, tell me about Dance of Many Hands. All right. <laughs> Dance of Many Hands is, is a self-portrait. I love the way you describe It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Dance of Many Hands is a self-portrait. I took a selfie in that same pose. And then I used I used uh, collage again and digital. And the title came 
from Nicole Mitchell, Dance of Many Hands. It was a moment when things were happening around me that were a moment of appreciation, let's say. And so this self-portrait, it was a thank it was a thank you, I guess. Because I also love the title, Dance of Many Hands, even though I'm much of an individualist, but I hundred percent also believe in the idea of Ubuntu. So I am because you are. I was trying to channel that in that painting because I was a dance of many hands. There were many people that had helped me to become who I am. Many soulmates I've come across. And yeah, it, I, I didn't, this didn't happen to me just by my hands alone. And how do you find painting self-portraits? I mean, do you find that there's something that you reveal about yourself in the work? Because it must be such a sort of intimate practice. I do not like painting self-portraits. When I use other figures and bodies in my work, they are all self-portraits. And the sort of significance of colours and plants, because, you know, you have this sort of, a, again, this amalgamation of plants and bright colours within this portrait. I mean, there's so much kind of going on in the work as well. So the, the plants are spiritual antennas. And especially in this time, I felt that I needed a motif that would carry me on. I had this idea that, okay, you, you want to be a painter. Great. But there are many painters out there, right? Of course, you want your work to be unique and to have something that you are recognized as. Because I was looking at Kors and um, Takashi Murakami, and they have a distinct... Like almost like a brand. A brand, yeah. right? And again, it goes back to this, why I, why I wanted to do animation is... I wasn't thinking in this um, in this form of making paint and just making paintings. I had to think about the economics of things. You know, we rely on brands, and I wanted to make a brand. This is when I was doing my BA, so I started painting these figures with banana horns. And then I spoke to a couple of people and I said, "You need to get rid of the bananas. Get rid of them." <laughs> Like everything else is great, Violet, but those banana horns, they need to go. Yeah, ditch, ditch them. those banana <laughs> horns. So I, I, I ditched them and I had to find a new language of having something that will always show up in, a, in my painting, but it has to make sense. It has to be also beautiful. And I began painting plants into my works. I guess also because from, it, again, it happened by chance because every Zimbabwean album, I swear, from the 90s, they are sitting right next to a plant. It's like a backdrop. So it's <laughs> it's like a prop that is always in all these photographs. I've also begun to tell myself that they are uh, spiritual antennas. So they are bodies in their own right. I love this idea that they're spiritual antennas because there's an idea of sort of protectiveness as well in that. Yes. So it's a, it's a spirit, but it it has its own agenda. I mean, plants are spirits and they have their own agendas. You know, they keep us alive. But then in 2018, you actually returned to Zimbabwe to do a residency. And this was the first time that you'd actually been home since you were around nine. I mean, how was this experience kind of going back to this place? I mean, had it been everything you had remembered? Am I right to think this was for an artist's residency? So I, I went back because I had done that exhibition titled If You Keep Going South, You Meet Yourself. So I've actually figured that these solo shows are, are they, di I don't know, are they diaries? Is it a book? Is it... 
for me, like one's life is a book and you have different chapters, right? <laughs> I needed to go back to Zimbabwe, but I didn't want to go back to Zimbabwe and see my family. I know that sounds weird, but I wanted to experience it as an individual. How will I take it in if I go to live with strangers? What will I learn from them? And so I went to Zimbabwe for that reason, which is I needed to learn about myself. And, and how was your experience at this place? It was humbling because there's this thing where, I don't know if other people experience this, but you, you leave a place and then when you go back, you want to educate everyone. You know, like I had that very egotistical idea that I'm going to go back and I'm going to try to bring in my own ideas into a community of people, which was the wrong way to go about. It was humbling because I had to sit down and say, you know what, you know nothing. Like, how old are you? I was not very well read. What the hell am I going to teach people? I mean, I'd love to also talk about the Gaswork show as well. I remember this very well. And it was titled 15,952 kilometers via Trans-Sahara Highway N1. I mean, what's the significance of the title and how does it tie into what you were making? Oh, yeah, the total was actually uh, the distance between Zimbabwe, South Africa, and then the UK. And speaking about my family's movements from Zimbabwe to the UK, some came straight to the UK, but most had to go through South Africa, the journey from Zimbabwe to South Africa. In some cases, it's uh, challenging. It's actually a common story. And it's a story that is also silent, you know, it's not talked about. But some of the works that you made for the show, I mean, something like Beer from 2019, which is currently on view at the Haywood Gallery right now. I mean, this idea of maps and also this, I love the work with all your friends in, from 2019. I mean, I'd love for you to talk about those paintings, especially because there's something that's so kind of familiar about them, but also intimate. Mira is very special. It's at the Haywood in the morning. It was so good to see it. <laughs> and I painted that in South Africa. So I was staying in South Africa. I did a residency building in Johannesburg and has many artists there. But I've used that image before. There's been another beta before too, which are what's on paper. And then with all your friends was a painting which was challenging because it's very tiny and I am not used to this size. I'm not used to making work that small. But they're my, all my cousins that are now grown up. I am not in the image. Because, I mean, it's interesting that you were working on such a smaller scale as well. I mean, do you find it challenging to work on a smaller scale? Yeah, I, I found it challenging to work on a smaller scale. And also very time-consuming. You would think yeah, smaller works, you know, you can do that in an hour or something. But actually, it's uh, quite challenging to move from very large scale to very small was interesting to me. But I did the same for, there's another series of works which I love that was at the Gaswork Show, which was titled Speaking in Tongues. I wanted to introduce this idea of multiple voices, having multiple narratives simultaneously run at the same time. I don't know why I, um, I'm really drawn to that idea, but it's like walking into a Russian Black exhibition for the first time and understanding the language, seeing Basquiat's works, I understood what he's saying, not understand exactly like a linear 
but my eyes could dance around an image and it all made sense to me. This idea of collaging and having multiple voices speak at the same time. I guess that's how my brain works. Like as I'm speaking now, there are multiple voices. I'm not schizophrenic or anything, but it's just how my brain works. One of my favorite of your most recent ones as well, I mean, not from the show, but it's also a theory on Adam, which is this beautiful, it almost feels like kind of four paintings in one, this beautiful image of these two men embracing and this almost bird-like figure in the sort of lower left-hand side with the screen print and then above this still life. I mean, it's just so charged. I find your work so emotional and the kind of rawness that you can get with that. I mean, when you're in front of one of your works, you really feel like the only person in the world. <laughs> and you feel like you're sort of stepping in on this very private moment between these two figures, between these two men embracing. Again, I just love the way you describe this painting. That painting was a letter, right? It was a letter to my dad, actually, which was questioning this theory of Adam. Like, okay, Adam is supposed to be the hero and it was a, also a letter I was the link to my dad and my brother who lives here so in the UK and it was uh, just an observational wonder a question of where are you where are the father figures I guess it's a worldwide question maybe I don't know <laughs> I certainly think so there are good men out there of course I guess it was, we need more. I don't know if you know this song by uh, Lauren Hill, which is called Adam Lives in Theory. And I was listening to that when I was painting this. It was uh, something that I do often is ruminate. Well, also like how is your experience painting male subjects as well? I've often questioned my gender. So I've questioned if I was male or Am I female? The male figures in my paintings are also that questioning. Am I male? I don't know. I do not want to find out in a a way that is, if I'm unsure, it's better to wait. But I still have to explore it in a way. It still needs to come out in a way. So to me, painting the nude, especially male, removing the genitalia, it's, it's me inserting myself in that male body. So I'm there again, self-portraits. And it's a way for me to explore masculinity. Wow. And just like the power of paint as a way to explore that is so incredible. And you sense that such tenderness in this painting. I mean, it's so loaded, so moving. And as is this beautiful painting in your exhibition at Victoria Mirror right now, you are killing my spirit of this figure laying down on a bed with this choir of angels behind them. I mean, you feel like you're dreaming with this figure. I mean, is this a self-portrait as well? No. It's actually an image of my ex or girlfriend. I don't know what's going on. But yeah, it's a, it's a photograph I took when I was in South Africa. So that entire show can be summed up to that. Right. I guess we're living in a time there's a lot of self-censorship in the arts as well. And it's very difficult to, I have to jump hoops. I have to come up with other ways to say things, but without it being obvious. And it's draining, <laughs> very, um, you know, 
kills the human spirit. Self-censorship, it kills you. What's the point of living if you cannot be authentically you? You know, what's what's the point? So that's the title of that painting. And what's the significance of the background? Because, I mean, it's like she's lying on this bed. She's only got a T-shirt on. She's kind of at peace almost. And then the background is this choir of these fluorescent figures. I mean, it's so spiritual and otherworldly. After I painted it, what happens sometimes is I paint and then I have to think about what this is about. And it actually reminded me of Ophelia. Yeah, 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 totally. To me, it happened after when I then thought, oh my God, this actually looks like Ophelia. And you're talking about the background. The background is uh, comes from this photographs from my aunt's album, which had her, which was working as a, she was a teacher for special needs children. And she took a photograph of these kids. And so these are these kids in the background. And I edited the background. I edited, I mean, the image and collaged it into, and then I manipulated it a bit. And it became what it is now. Mm, yeah. And how do you want people to feel in front of your work? I guess my goal is to move people. The paintings are meant to be universal, but I guess because of subject, because of who I am and where I come from. And when I get messages on Instagram of how it will be a Zimbabwean woman or wherever, and it, the first solo show that I had, if you keep going south, you meet yourself. There's a painting titled Family Portrait, and a lot of people responded to that, and they were mainly women, and they mainly wanted to know what, what is that red part you know what is happening with this with this scratching and why is that person erased and I think they knew I'm not going to say what they knew but they knew and that's the response that I want which is something familiar I want to leave people in a state of awe I guess it's very it's a very tough question Katie Violet, thank you so much for today. This has been such an incredible insight into your work. So I really appreciate you taking the time. But we do have one more question. As is the Great Women Artists podcast, we do always ask our guests if there was a woman artist from history, would there be anyone who you would like to meet? And who would it be? And what would you say to them? Does it have to be an artist? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what if it's an artist that was not known to the West? To the, to... What if she was a secret artist and she just, I feel like Mbuya Nehanda, who is the spiritual medium, I think I would want to meet her. Amazing. And what would you say to her? I would ask her how to be brave. How can I be brave? I would ask her to mentor me. <laughs> she was a very brave woman. So I think that's what we all need now. We do, we do. Well, I think your paintings give us that as well. Kutsune Violet Hawami, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Katie. Thank you all so much for listening to the 75th episode of the Great Women Artists podcast with the brilliant Kutsunai Violet Huami. It was so fascinating to hear all about Violet's incredible life and career. And for those in London, I urge you all to check out her exhibition at Victoria Miro, as well as her paintings currently up in the Hayward exhibition, Mixing It Up. As always, I have linked to everything in the show notes. This episode was sound edited by the brilliant Nadas Menenich and research assistant was Viva Ruji. And if you have been enjoying 
this episode so far, I will be so grateful if you were to leave a review as it helps others find us. And of course, thank you so much for listening to the Great Women Artists Podcast with me, Katie Hessel.